What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. Yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now- Hello, everybody. Thank you, as always, for joining us. This is the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. We appreciate all of you listening. I am Amanda, and I'm joined, as always, by my truculent co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please be sure to find us on Twitter and follow the show there at Hash Street High Heat for all the latest news and announcements. And don't forget to check out our website, HashStreetHighHeat.com, which is updated daily with outtakes from the podcast, lots of articles, and much more. How are you guys doing? How's your weekend? I had a, a great moment that only solidified the uh, the presenting idea that I should be uh, in a position of power within the nationals organization. Um, my wife and I went to the car dealership over the weekend and we got her a new car and I negotiated the hell out of that deal because they tried to rip her off and I didn't let them. And, Oh, I thought Chris Bryant went yard again. I got really excited. Um, But yeah, negotiated the hell out of the deal, saved her like 150 bucks a month. She got the car she wanted on a great deal. What'd she get? Your boy. She got a Kia Telluride. 
Nice. Those are nice looking. Yeah, they're super nice. So now she has a nicer car than me, and I don't like it. So I have to get a new one. But I have practice now because I negotiated the hell out of the deal, like I said. Nice work. That's a proud moment. Thank you. Thank you. And that means you should have a position of power in the Nats organization? Yeah, because clearly I know how to get a deal done. And oh, when I see. And when a deal needs to happen in order to advance someone's standing, even though their current standing was fine, I'm your guide to make things better when they didn't necessarily need to be better. So well, rather sounds- than being complacent, mm-hmm. I am the guide to move things forward. It sounds like you presented yourself in a very truculent fashion. So it's a good word I chose. Because of a truck? (laughs) It means aggressively self-assertive. But also it has the word truck in it. It does have, well, it only has a C, no K, so. I mean, but it sounds the same. That's true. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that kind of logic. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Ryan? How was your weekend? No, my weekend was good. Um. Me and my assistant GM Monty, we just <laughs> we just finished our regular season. Um, I I won game one of the NLDS against the Cubs. It was a very heated game. You know, Monty has a good relationship with the media, so that's why I got to keep Monty around as my assistant GM. So I got to make sure these articles coming out about my team are good. But uh, the latest one that came out by the Post was good. So my franchise is doing very well. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I'm glad for that update. Congratulations. All right, um, let's do our quick pitch segment. Um, what is the best play in baseball? This is a fun one. This is a great question, and there's a lot of good options for it. But the best play in baseball is a ball in the gap that results in a play at home with a guy trying to score from first. It's exciting because, you know, the guy just roped it in the gap. The fans are hyped. You're trying to see if the guy can score from first. And then the play at the plate, and there's a half a second when everyone in the crowd gets quiet to see if he's safe or if he's out. And then everyone cheers because he's safe. It's exciting. It's fun. I love it. Um, it's a lot more exciting than the home runs. Home runs are kind of getting boring nowadays. So, you know, give me just a good opposite field double that scores a guy from first with a nice play at the plate. It's a good choice. Yeah. I mean, mine's pretty boring because it's Ryan picked up a specific one and that is like the the best of the best. Uh, Mine's any play at the plate Mm -hmm. um, because it's just electric. You're waiting for the umpire, you know, his call. Even if you have a, a judgment one way or another, the umpire might have a different one than you do. So, you know, that's just exhilarating. Like Ryan said, you know, that split second where you're trying to figure out if he's safe or out, like it, it, it feels like it lasts forever. So that's by far the best. And, you know, maybe it is a ball in the gap and defense is scrambling, guys booking from first, or maybe it's just, you know, bang, bang, infield in, whatever. But any sort of play at the plate is electric. And I agree with Ryan. Home runs are kind of getting a little bit stale. And even a walk-off home run, while still cool, it's just like, you know, there's no build-up to it. You know, if if it's a home run, you can usually tell it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a home run just because right, of, off the bat, you of pretty how much hard it. these balls are hit. Whereas a ball in the gap or just any sort of play at the plate, there is that, you know, suspense that builds up where you're like, holy crap, what's going to happen? So, yeah, I completely agree. It's a play at the plate. Yeah, I think all the best plays in baseball are plays at the plate. Um, 
I really love an outfield assist. I think those mm-hmm. are awesome. It's just so much fun to see a guy with just a cannon from the outfield gun a guy down at home plate. I love that. Um, but you're right. There's something about that moment. I love it when you're you're watching the third base coach to see if he's going to send him. Like if you see a guy running from first and you're like, is he going to give him the go ahead? And like that slide into home and everybody's everybody's catching, you know, holds their breath for a second while they wait. That's definitely the best. Oh, also, Bob I Henley think, just sent him while you were talking about that. Yeah, well, that is what what Bob does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also stealing home, I have to say, is one of those ones. It's so rare. You hardly ever see it. And it's so freaking awesome when, when it happens successfully. One of my favorite all-time plays was when uh, Bryce Harper stole, was that 2012 when he stole home on Cole Hamels after Cole Hamels hit him to put him on base? Yeah, because that was his rookie year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a welcome to the welcome to the big leagues rookie kind of thing where he just plunked him and then put him on base and then he wound up at third and stole home. Yeah, that was unbelievable. So I love that play, but you're right, anything at the plate really. I guess we all agree, which isn't the most exciting thing. But It's kind of cool, though, that we all pick defensive plays you know, with how offensive the game has become, you know, there is some uh, satisfaction in, in some good good old-fashioned defense. Yeah, but you made a really good point, Ryan, about how and at how kind of home runs don't have the cachet they used to. It's like how many guys hit 20 homers now? <laughs> I mean, like you couldn't even begin to make the list. Like there are so many. Yeah, it, it just it's lost its luster a little bit, and it seems like everything now is just strikeouts and – bombs so i like i like some good old-fashioned baseball i dig it okay let's move on to our next segment which is ryan's week in review ryan hook us up yes it is another great week for baseball the best baseball is being played in the state of california as all teams are still above 500 but the very two best teams are in Southern California. They are the Dodgers and the Padres. Padres took three of four against the Dodgers in Dodger Stadium this weekend, sending a message to not only the Dodgers, but the entire league as well, saying that they are legit and they're not going to be the little brother they used to be, and confirming once again, we badly need them in October. Fernando Tatis Jr. made history on several occasions this weekend. First, his eight errors to start the season are the most in 15 games since 1983 something I thought Ian Desmond did every single year. Tatis also has 45 home runs, 106 RBIs, 25 stolen bases through his first 157 games. That made him the first player in MLB history to have at least 40-plus home runs, 100-plus RBIs, 20-plus stolen bases through their first 162 games. And my favorite stat, Tatis was the sixth player ever to have a multi-home run game against a former Cy Young winner twice in one season, he became the first ever to do it in back-to-back nights. On the opposite end of good baseball, the Rockies GM finally steps down. He will forever be known as the guy who had to trade Nolan Arenado. Madison Bumgarner throws a complete game, very official seven-inning no-hitter against the Braves, which does count as a no-hitter, by the way. Otani also made history. He marks the first time since 1921 where the league leader in home runs was making a start as the starting pitcher for the team. 
and the Orioles snapped the A's 13th game went streak to the NL East, which is by far and away the worst division in baseball this year. And fifth place are the 8-11 and 11 Nationals. They have been shut out five times, and their offense is all sorts of awful right now. And fourth are the 9-12 and 12 Braves, who are also pretty awful. They have one hit in 14 innings against the Diamondbacks. They play a series against the Cubs, and they are currently winning 5-2-4. And third place are the 9-12 and 12 Marlins, who dropped three of four to the Giants and now have a three-game series against the Brewers before they come to D.C. to face the Nats. In second place are the 10 and 11 Phillies. Bryce Harper and Reese Hoskins are the only thing that's really going for them right now. They dropped two or three against the Rockies. Up next are four against the Cardinals, and they're currently beating them 2-0 thanks to two home runs from Reese Hoskins. In first place are the 9 and 8 Mets. DeGrom went nine innings, striking out 15 against the Nats, and that lowered his K per nine. His dominant stretch absolutely continues as the Mets are just another average team. This has been your week in review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood chilies. Dine in, carry out, or get delivery, and make sure you get yourself a $5 straw Eddie Rita. This bad boy is made with lemon vodka, Lunazel, Blanco tequila, strawberry puree, and fresh sour. Make this divine April drink absolutely delicious this has been your week in review yeah so ryan you alluded to it or i guess you came out and said it i agree a seven inning no hitter still a no hitter the the players didn't you know decide that double headers are only seven innings and you know he did madison bumgarner that is did the most he could with what he was given he was given seven innings and he literally did not allow a hit for seven innings that 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 fits the bill you know if you want to put no hitter parentheses seven in in the history books that's fine because it was a seven inning no hitter but a no hitter is a no hitter i think it should be counted um i i really don't see an argument against it he did what he was supposed to do it's not his fault the game only went seven innings yeah it's not his fault it didn't go longer than seven innings but also you wouldn't if a Game got called for rain after seven innings and the guy was no hitting up to that point. You wouldn't call that a no hitter just because I'm, it stopped out of no. Well, it's, it's completely different. It's not yeah. different. If you is, let me ask you this, how read, many, it's predetermined. How many no hit bids have gone through seven innings and then been lost in the eighth or ninth innings? Well, how many times has a seven inning game been counted as a official game in a double hitter? That's the rule. If Major League Baseball considers seven innings and double hitter to be a complete official ball game, then it's a complete official no hitter. MLB's official historian said it's an official no hitter. They were overruled. It's an official no hitter. If it counts as a full game, it's a no hitter. I agree. Six inning game that gets rained out counts as an official it's, game. It's not the same. It is the same. It's an official no, game. No, because the seven inning the game is predetermined. Before you even play the first pitch, it's only going to be seven. Whereas a rain out, you know, you're planning on playing nine, but you right. might only. But if play a guy seven. if a guy goes seven innings and a game gets canceled for some reason, and after seven innings, like there's a rain out, whatever happens, it can't continue. It was seven innings. He went seven innings with a no-hitter. He did everything he could have done. It was through no fault of his own. He couldn't go longer than seven innings. It's still not a no-hitter. Do you know how many times? In that case, case it would be because it's an official game, like Ryan said. If they are ending the game at six or seven innings rather than continuing the rest of the game at a later date, it's a no-hitter because it's an official game. So you would say a guy who went six innings and... No hit had a no hit bid going through six innings and the game got rained out. You consider that a no hitter? 
if MLB calls it an official game, then yes, because you have to. Also, here's, here's I the just issue. vehemently disagree with that. Well, of course you do. But here's the issue with your argument, Amanda. That has never happened in the history of baseball. Like, that would never happen. They're going to come back out and finish the game. Like, that's never, ever happened. I see the argument you're making, but there's no basis to it because it's never happened. Now, I'll make the same argument I made about last year's whole, is, is the World Series champion the World Series champion. Of course they are. The Dodgers won the World Series last year. I don't consider a 60-game season to be equivalent to a 162-game season because lots of teams have done well enough over 60 games to make it to the playoffs and then didn't make the playoffs. So I still have an asterisk by last season in, in my record book. And I have an asterisk by this. This isn't a no hitter. A no hitter is nine. And you can't compare every other guy who's ever had a no hitter had to go nine innings. There have been probably hundreds. I don't know the statistic of games that have gone no hit into the seventh inning over seven innings and then lost their no hit bid in the eighth and ninth. Those guys didn't throw no hitters either. It's different. Seven innings is not a is not a full ball game. Uh, well, according to the MLB, it is in a doubleheader. Right, but so it's also what they call an official game if they rain one out, and I wouldn't consider a five or six inning. Well, it doesn't matter no what you hitter. consider. Is right. the MLB well, the considering question it a here game? Was do we consider a seven inning no hitter a real no hitter? Well, yeah, but question. I'm using the MLB official game ruling in my but argument. They, You're just they using ruled your it's not a no hitter. But they ruled it an official game. Right, but they said it's not a no-hitter. But even the MLB historian said it should be a no-hitter. But the MLB said it's not a no-hitter. You just told me I'm using MLB's official thing. Well, MLB officially said it's not. But MLB historian, literally everyone else said it should be a no-hitter. Okay, so... And you're using something that has never happened in baseball history in your argument. Right, well, a seven-inning no-hitter officially has never happened either. I actually just did over the weekend. That's why we're talking. That's about my this. whole point is it's never happened in baseball. You're saying it can't. I, I can't use that example because it's never happened before. This has never happened before. But it literally just did. You're, you know, using a hypothetical. It literally right. just but did. I'm just That's saying MLB says it's not a no hitter. It doesn't say, mean it didn't happen. I'm not saying it seven, didn't happen. A full game allowing no hits. That's a right. that's a no hitter. Right. It's not a full game at nine innings. And I, mean, I think you're right that MLB it. is stupid to have seven inning complete games and then not call it a no hitter. I think that's dumb, but I think seven inning double headers are dumb. I don't think there should be seven innings. Shouldn't be a complete baseball game in the case of a rainout. I can see the argument for that, but for official games, they've played how many years has baseball existed and they've played nine inning double hitters. There's no reason to have seven inning double headers. Yeah, they're just picking and choosing at this point. Yeah, it's just point. it's it's asinine what they're doing. They, yep. So anyway, I think it should not be, and I'm glad they didn't call it one. But I do think that it's it you can't square that circle. If you're going to call seven innings a, a full game, then it should be a no hitter. But I don't think it is a no hitter because I don't think seven innings is a full game. So. All right, then every team who's ever played a seven inning doubleheader needs to get back on the field to finish those two innings. Amen, brother. I'm with you. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Nat Spat. Uh, this is an ugly topic right now. Let's talk about the offense because holy crap, are they bad oh. right now? When was the last time they hit a home run? Was it last Tuesday? Last last Tuesday. Last season. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It's been eighty four years. It's yep. been eighty four years. So I kind of wanted to dive into this because I brought up a pretty good point today. Um, if you're looking at Babbitt, this is just for Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber. League average is 300. 
The worst hitters are at 260. Schwarber's Babbitt is 273. That's right around his league average. Josh Bell's Babbitt is 148. That's significantly lower than his career average. The thing about statistics is everything always regresses or progresses to the mean, right? So this is who Kyle Schwarber is. He's hitting below 200. He's striking out a buck ton. He's not walking. The power is also not there. That's the outlier that's very concerning about Kyle Schwarber. It's not that his average is very low. It's not that he's striking out a ton. That's who he is. But he usually hits 20-plus home runs, and he's not doing that. The analytics say Josh Bell is going to turn a corner soon, so the Nats need to heavily rely on that and heavily hope for that. But something that's also very interesting is when you look at the team stats, um, their offensive rating is negative 8.4. That's not very oh, good. Their, their WRC plus as a team is 99. League average is 100. Then you go and look at their BABIP, their team BABIP is one, sorry, excuse me, their team Babbitt is 306. League average is 300. Their ISO, which basically just looks at their isolated power, um, if you go one for five with a double, your ISO is 200. League average is 140. Their ISO is 157. So what does that mean? All their analytics are near league average. This is who they are. The analytics are saying, because they're performing right around league average for everything, there's no true outliers in this stuff they are a bad offense they're a bad lineup they're going to struggle a lot but they're going to have those random games where they explode you know that's a that's an interesting use of the word explode because their league high I and mean, their season high is seven runs the analytics say this is who they are and sometimes you have to call a spade a spade everyone's saying well the offense is bad right now the offense is bad in general. You can, you can just say the offense is bad because it is. The analytics are saying this is what they're going to be for a long time. Now, this very well may change if Josh Bell turns a corner and starts hitting like he did in 2019, if Kyle Schwarber can actually start hitting extra base hits, and Juan Soto, when all these numbers were bad when he was here, returns and keeps doing Juan Soto things, we could see these grow. But the analytics are saying that's probably not going to happen because this is who they are. It's a bad inconsistent lineup yeah and i mean we sunshine and roses from ryan there yeah i mean <laughs> he has great points though uh-huh. um and this is you we kind of isolated babbitt last week when talking about josh bell but it, you know he brings up a great point with kyle Schorbert that yeah we're all frustrated with him right now but also this is kind of who he is minus the home runs you know, we signed him to hit home runs. We knew what we were getting defensively. We knew what we were getting, you know, as far as contact goes. We signed him to hit home runs, and he's not holding up his end of the deal. As far as everything else goes that we're frustrated with, like Ryan said, this is who he is. Whereas Josh Bell, you know, there is the evidence, Babbitt being the main piece, that he should turn a corner, according to the statistics, you know, whether it does or doesn't remains to be seen. But, you know, like I tell my kids when I'm coaching, like put the ball in play, good things will happen. And that's kind of like why, you know, Babip's such a cool stat because it takes away the strikeouts and basically just kind of tells you how lucky you're getting or, you know, if you're hitting the ball in the right spot or whatever. And, you know, Bell and Schwarber are hitting the ball hard, but they're hitting it right at people and they're still striking out a ton. So it, it's frustrating and this is why, I called it back in the, the off season, not that I 
wished this prediction to to be correct but that was the problem when you added two guys to your lineup with the same profile mm-hmm. that being all power no you know substance no no contact no on base so when they're both struggling like they are now and insult to injury you have Juan Soto on the IL and Trey Turner banged up it looks really really bad when that's the centerpiece of your lineup and you're just you know, rather than depending on a, a, a solid guy to kind of keep you afloat, you're depending on guys turning it around and they're not turning around and your season high in runs is only seven runs and you just got there this week and you were the last team in the MLB to hit seven runs in a game this season. So it, it's incredibly frustrating that once again, me, just a fan can say, oh, here's what's wrong. And you know, the people in charge of making these decisions either don't see it or see it and didn't do anything about it. Because imagine if we had signed someone like Michael Brantley instead of Kyle Schorber. And even though Brantley doesn't have the, you know, power in his arsenal that Kyle Schorber does, he'd be getting on base a lot more. I don't have his numbers in front of me, so I hope I'm not, you know, just talking out of my ass and Brantley's actually having a good season, but you know, just that profile uh, of an off season signing would have fit this team much better than uh, signing Kyle Schwarber when we already had Josh Bell on the roster. Well, he's hitting 333 right now. So your argument holds up pretty well. Sweet. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, not only you you brought up how Bell and Schwarber kind of profile similarly. The other thing is that, and we talked about this, I don't remember a couple of months ago or a few weeks ago about how they're, you know, there's a lot of, I hope they have seasons like their best seasons, Mm -hmm. but you know, you're hoping for a rebound from a lot of guys and the idea that, the possibility that everybody who you need a rebound from is going to have a rebound simultaneously is, you know, not that high. And it's right now we're seeing them all struggle. And again, you know, it's with all the correct caveats about it's early in the season and they've, you know, dealt with a lot and they have people missing from the lineup and that's all true, but the, the underlying metrics don't look good. And right now this offense is this offense the reason we aren't way further behind in the division is that other teams have also underperformed mm-hmm. and you can't count on that continuing. And I I'm very concerned about the lineup. Interestingly, the bullpen looks terrific. <laughs> they've been, they've been really good. And that's so weird because for the Nats, that's usually their weakness. And you know, like the lineup is good and the starting pitching is good. And then the bullpen is the, you the know why that is because we have seen a very clear attempt by the Nats to address the bullpen the last couple of years. They haven't really done that for the offense. Like they let Bryce, they let Radon, they let Murphy go without any true replacements. And now they have a bad lineup, which like it is what it is. But, you know, instead of complaining about the bullpen for eight years in a row, we can, we can enjoy that. Hey, we have a good bullpen. We have a lockdown closer now. So that's a good positive. Yes, it is. It's a nice thing. Even worse, like, Going into the season, we profiled a bunch of guys who, you know, needed to have bounce back seasons in order for us to be competitive. Have any, it's, it's early, you know, we're only a couple weeks into this young 2021 season, but have any of them bounce back? (laughs) I would give that a big fat no for now. And like you said, you know, a lot of it is. Schorberg, Corbin, Strasburg, all no's. Yeah. I guess you could say Joe Ross to an extent. That wasn't really a bounce back so much as a, we need to, he's never really 
you know, been what we hoped he would be. And this year he looks like maybe he'll finally do it. I hope yeah. they take the training wheels off and just let him. Robles. Robles is another one we were counting on bouncing back. He didn't He's... bounce back. Like, Yeah. And I got my hopes up from spring training, which you should never do. Yeah. No, for Bell too. Learned. For Bell and Robles. Lesson they both learned. look really good in the spring and now they're just not. So I'm still hoping it's. This Bell has an excuse. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which it's, I, this is my, Tuesday's my last day giving them that excuse. Yeah, it's kind. Of, I, I I want to stand Josh Bell so hard, but I I'm right there with you, Ryan. Like at this point, it's okay. Let's can we turn a corner so at least we have right. some ground to stand on. Could you please this. let me love you, Josh right. Bell? <laughs> right, basically, <Please. laughs> basically. I want to love you. Please let me love you. Yeah, yeah. It's it it do be like that sometimes. Okay. Speaking of offensive struggles, um, once they do get on base, which they don't do enough, the base running issues are just infuriating. It is so, it's so hard to watch some of the stupid base running mistakes that they make. And for Robles especially, this has been a continuing issue. Yeah, we we talked about this with Blake, who's going to be on the show in a little bit. Um, the base running has been hurting this team big time. Robles has had, I think, two or three bad mistakes. Josh Harrison got picked off when he shouldn't have. There's just a lot of mistakes that they're making. And when you, you know, let's dive into it. You look at their BSR, which is the overall base running stat that takes into account caught stealing, stealing attempts, pickoffs, but also looks at balls in play. It calculates based on bases you should have gotten if you didn't and obviously if you make a bad base running mistake like Robles going from first to third getting thrown out that hurts you zero is league average their base running is negative 3.3 so (laughs) this year their base running has cost them 3.3 runs that's not good it's 22nd in baseball right now the Rockies are first with 13.6 runs that means their base running has helped them create 13.6 runs it's bad. When you're a team that's struggling to score runs right now, you can't have that happen. And our last, like the um, with Taiwan Walker on Sunday, there was times when you've been like, yeah, so that was two runs the Nats base running mistakes took away. And they ended up getting shut out. Um, you know, Robles first to third, he would have scored. If Josh Harrison didn't get picked off in the first, he would have scored. It's just little mistakes like that that are so frustrating because this division sucks. Like, this division is not good. The Nats are 8-11 and 11 in last place, and they're still in it. Like, they legit, like, not even just games back or everything, but you look at the way everyone else is playing, you kind of got to feel good about, like, hey, you know, we're, it's not as bad as it could be, you know? But when you're making these small mistakes like this, it doesn't help you. And these tiny mistakes is what separates good teams from bad teams. It's like in college sports, when every time you think there's going to be an upset, the bad, the you know, the less ranked team starts making all these tiny mistakes and the good teams capitalize off it. It's the same in baseball. Good teams in baseball capitalize off you making the little mistakes. And that's been killing the Nats so far this season. They need to get this under control and need to start being smart on the base pass. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's it's one of those things where when you're struggling already, like you got to control the things you can control. I always think of this in any sport, like it's hockey or football, like just don't make, don't make mistakes on things that you have control over. You know, don't take penalties. Don't, you know, don't do things that make it harder on you than it has to be. Like you're beating yourself as opposed to letting the other team beat you. And it's so hard to watch. And right now, like I said, with Robles especially, I don't know, it makes me so upset when I see it because this has been an issue not just this season. 
And you would think that, you know, he's been in the majors quite a while now. I, I don't understand how these these mental mistakes keep happening. I said so he's another one. I want him to succeed so much. I wanted this experiment with him and the leadoff spot to work so much. And he's just obviously the batting is bad enough for him right now. At least don't make yourself a liability and on the rare occasions that you get on base. Yeah, and I think like Ryan said, this past Sunday versus the Mets and Taiwan Walker was a perfect example. Because you look at the box score, if you didn't watch the game, you know, you see no runs on five hits. You're like, damn, we got shut down. But that really doesn't tell you the full story of how that game went down. Because, yeah, the Mets scored two in the first. The Nats got on base eight times in the whole game, but five of those on-base trips were in the first two innings. There was a ton of traffic going on early that could have easily rattled Walker and you, you know you could have gotten to the Mets bullpen early but rather than capitalizing on it you know Harrison singles to lead off the game and immediately gets picked off in the second inning like Ryan said Robles got thrown out trying to stretch it into a triple it was just you know frustrating that we couldn't capitalize on those needless mistakes you know we didn't need to you know steal an extra base there there you know, wasn't even two outs in either of those scenarios, and we got picked off, and that just only helped the Mets and Walker. And from there, we couldn't get into a groove. Walker found his groove and really shut us down. So, you know, even though we've only lost three runs over whatever, you know, 15 games we've played so far, we basically lost that game because of, you know, base running. We, we just never found our footing after that, you know, rough start on the base pass. So it really can affect a game um, and has been impacting the, the Nats uh, thus far because there's been plenty of base running mistakes. And uh, like you guys said, with someone like Robles, you just expect that progression to be there. You can't, you know, like we talked about w- with Josh Bell, you can only be optimistic and be forgiving so far or so long until you need to start seeing something. I mean, I've been there with Robles and specifically with his base running, we need better from him he should know better at this point he's been a yeah, regular he's not that regular young. guy not for three years so yeah. you know we can't give him that pass anymore yeah and i will say to zoom out on it a little bit like given all of the challenges and that's if faced early in the season and the, the injuries that they're dealing with right now if they can take one or both of these from blue jays coming up and wind up right around 500 coming out of april i mean it could be worse you know what i mean Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's not really just the record that is so troubling. It's the it's the like I said before the underlying stuff that you can see the tendencies. You can see what's going on with the team, and it doesn't bode well. I hope we're wrong. We feel like we're being super negative, Nancy's here this evening. But I will say, you know, about the the upcoming series versus Jay is like, you know, regardless about how you feel with the DH it, it, it's a welcome addition to this series for the Nats because with, with Soto out with Bell and Schwarber struggling, getting someone like, you know, Zim or even a Yadiel Hernandez is, who's been doing well in a short sample size into the lineup when they normally wouldn't be is going to help lengthen this lineup a little bit. And hopefully, you know, maybe spark something, yeah, spark something, improve something, you know, we don't have a Howie Kendrick on this team, but think of, you know, those games where Howie Kendrick being in the lineup when he normally wouldn't be, you know, how that impacted the Nats' performance offensively. So hopefully we see something there and it can kind of roll over once we get back to uh, National League play. Hopefully Ryan Zimmerman remembers how to swing a bat since he never gets 
He hasn't been in at all. I think they had, didn't he have an at-bat late in that last he game? He struck out. Hit. Right, right. But he was he was swinging a pretty hot bat, and then he just sat on the bench for a week. So I'm just saying the way Bell's been hitting, I don't know why they haven't tried to get Ryan in there a little bit. But I guess we'll see how he does in the J series. Um, let's move on and talk about Corbin. Um, the Nats have said that they're going to go to a four-man rotation for the next little while because they've got some off days built in and, and don't really need a fifth starter. Um, what do you think? Of, like, Are they going to have a phantom IL stint for Corbin here pretty soon if he doesn't get it together? Yeah, so we I, – I talked about this. I broke down his slider. I talked about on Twitter how his best start of his season, his slider was moving, right? He was getting guys chasing against the Mets. His slider was moving. The only problem is guys weren't chasing, and he struggled. Um, it was only four runs. It should have been a lot more. He got bailed out by the umpire a couple of times, um, but he grinded for those four innings. And so far this season, he is the worst pitcher this team has. He is a liability right now in the rotation. When you have a couple of liabilities in your offense, you can't really afford that. You know, especially when you're going to have some division games coming up, you can't afford that. You're going to have these guys coming back. Strauss, when he comes back, obviously Strauss is going in the rotation. Max isn't going anywhere. Joe Ross has won that spot. Um, Lester, again, is also going to be in the rotation. They signed him. They're going to throw him in the rotation when he's healthy. That leaves you down to the last spot between Eric Fetty and Patrick Corbin. Eric Fetty's out of options. Eric Fetty also honestly hasn't been that bad, as Blake will note, as we'll hear here in a couple minutes. I feel like we're going to see an IL stint from Corbin. He just, they have way too much money invested in him for him to be this bad and this much of a liability. He's going to have to figure it out. Whether that's him going to the bullpen or going to the IL, there's going to have to be something that they need to figure out and get him right because they have a ton of money invested in him. And if he's going to be this much of a liability, this team is royally screwed in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I do kind of, I, I think of IL stint is coming. I, I just, if he can't get right, I bet he gets one more start. And if he struggles again, they're going to have to do something. It depends on Lester coming back, of course, which I think is getting closer. The last I heard he was. Yeah, he, he should just, be back before Strauss, it sounds like. Yeah, and I don't know what Strauss's most recent is. I heard he was throwing from 120 feet and seemed to be doing better. And Soto's hitting off a tee. And I think Davey said he, he felt, quote, just fine. For what that's worth after hitting off the tee. I know when he was injured, they said he wasn't feeling it when he was throwing. It was when he was batting that whatever was bothering him was was painful for him. So if he's hitting off a tee and not feeling it, then hopefully he's going to be back sooner than later. But we really need to get some of these guys back. Because mm-hmm. they said this team, even at full strength, is going to struggle, I think, to some extent. And at, at this strength they're at now, I don't. I don't have I don't have the good happy feeling about going on past. I mean, we're paying the Marlins next, who you know everybody likes to make a joke about the Marlins, but they're above the Nats in the standings right now and have been all season. So, yep. yeah, yeah. Uh, does trading Max Scherzer give you a happy feeling? It doesn't. No, no, it does not make me feel happy. Um, trading Max, it is funny, and I know people got so upset on Twitter. I don't know why people care so much whether the media are talking about trading Max. Who? It only matters what the learners do. It doesn't matter what. And I'm sure that's not a Mike Rizzo thing. That's going to be a decision made in ownership level if they were going to trade Max. And I honestly, 
I don't think this team, this ownership group, I don't even think if we're completely out of contention that they're going to trade him. I think they showed us that with Bryce. They're not going to trade a name they think they're going to be able to get him back even if he hits free agency. I I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this in the interview, so I'm not going to, you know, spend too much time on it. But I think they should and they need to entertain uh, trade calls uh if they find themselves out of contention at that time. Um, but I, I can see ownership not really budging on the issue and having a lot of, uh, you know, appreciation for Max and wanting to keep him around without, you know, any uh, interruption in his national service or whatever. So I, I don't see it happening. I just think it needs to at least be entertained. But it, it's also April, so I'll give everyone, you know, the credit there that we need to see how the season plays out a little bit more. Yeah, it's too early. Mm-hmm. Although it is funny how the media are all over it already. And I guess I think it's because the, the national baseball media sees the Nats more for what they are than I think a lot of the local media or a lot of the fans in the fan base do. I think they see a team that they expect to be struggling at the All-Star yeah, break. They're and- also like hearing things from execs of other teams also who understand that the local media is just soft. Like, um, there's articles saying the Nats deserve praise for being seven to nine. Like, okay, Jeff Fisher, but no, <laughs> like, I agree with you. It's the media's job to do this. They're going to find stories and the Nats are struggling. It's the obvious story. He's a free agent coming up. The Nats are old. They don't have any farm system whatsoever. They're potentially within the window. Of course, they're going to talk about this. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And people are having complete and other mental breakdowns on Twitter. Like, relax. It was 9am and people are fighting Ken Rosenthal. It's Ken Rosenthal relax like it's it's their job to talk about this and this is obviously coming from somewhere and like amanda you're right they're never going to train them whatsoever but this is coming from somewhere there's somewhere in baseball and someone who's either close to max that's leaked something for these conversations to happen does it mean anything no these conversations happen all the time just stop getting so mad or stuff like this like it was absurd yeah i have to agree with that and you know, he's having a great year so far. I mean, he's got a 1.8 ERA. I know that's not like, that's, it's not Jacob DeGrom level, but it's still a damn good ERA. He's got 33 strikeouts already, which is good for, I'm looking it up right now, 13th overall. So, you know, he's having a terrific season. I mean, he's at his age and for everything he's done, he's, there's no reason unless the Nats are out of contention for them to even think about it. He is the best pitcher in their rotation and has been for a long time. I think Strauss, when he comes back, hopefully we'll get it together. But right now, I don't even know what we can expect from Strauss this year after the injury last year and now another injury again this soon. I have grave concerns about how he's going to be, how much availability he's going to have this season. So I think it's silly to talk about it now, but the media, ta- they need stuff to talk about. And it's it's a perfectly reasonable question to wonder if the Nats will trade him and even to speculate that they should trade him. But just seeing what they've done in the past, I just don't think they will. And that's fine because we need stuff to talk about too. Exactly. It's perfect for, you know, radio and TV and podcast segments. So. Yep. All right. Yeah. Let Heaters. us move on. Before we get to our interview with Blake Finney, we have a new sponsor alert, and that is CBDMD. For those of you who do not know about CBDMD, let me educate you a little bit. They take hemp grown right here in the U.S. and combine it with their unique manufacturing process. The result is a series of products featuring their superior broad spectrum formula, 
containing terpenes and additional cannabinoids found with within the hemp plant. Every product batch goes under, undergoes rigorous production and third-party testing, resulting in a more pure product that sets the standards for superior CBD. So I know what you're thinking. If you do know anything about CBD, you're thinking, you know, you're going to get high. It's, you know, marijuana. No, all products are tested to be THC free. They help in enhancing exercise recovery, managing signs of common daily stress, support general sense of calm, complement everyday wellness, and assist with maintaining a regular sleep cycle, which, you know, I've had, had issue with, and, you know, I'm sure many people have as well. And, just this weekend, you know, I was feeling some muscle aches. I tried their CBD freeze, which is essentially like their form of icy hot. And I am not kidding. And I'm not trying to hype it up more than it needs to be. But that is the best product I've ever used ever, you know, better than icy hot, better than Ben Gay, better than anything. And that's not even something you ingest. So you don't really have to worry about that. If you're still a little sketched out, you can try CBD freeze realize how great it works and maybe that opens you up to some of their great products that they have in their site, which they do have a lot. I mean, they have tinctures, gummies, topicals, like the freeze, like more balms and massage oils. I mean, they even have stuff for pets. If your, your pet suffers from any sort of anxiety as well and sleep aids, like, like I uh, mentioned, which I will have to try, but if you know, that all sounds good. Half Street High Heat has got you covered. Use our promo code CBDMD15. Follow the link. It, it'll be on our site. It's in the episode description below. If you go look at the episode details, you can find the link. Go through there. Use the promo code for 15% off and free shipping. It ships within two to three days. It's super, super quick. So if you're looking to get something by the weekend, you order today, Tuesday, you'll probably get it by Friday. It'll be awesome. I encourage everyone to try it out, see what works for them, see what doesn't. But they have plenty of products, and I guarantee you, you can find something that works for you. So please go to CBDMD using the link below and use our promo code. That is great advice. I'm going to have to check it out. I, uh, I've looked at their site, and they have so many things I'm like trying to figure out <laughs> which ones I, I want to order first. I'm, again, you know, I, I'm not in ad read mode anymore. CBD Freeze was awesome. I thought I legitimately broke my kneecap and oh. I used a little bit of that and I was walking around like I was fine. It life changing. It was awesome. To, you know what else is that. awesome? Interviews. Interviews. And we got yet another one. Uh, Nick and I sat down with the fantastic Blake Finney. Um, he covers the Nationals for federal baseball. You guys should give him a follow on Twitter at Finney Blake. Nick and I talked to him. We asked all about the Mets series. We previewed the Blue Jays. We also asked about Max, the base running, and the draft coming up, and a lot of just good conversation about the Nats. Um, also got his opinion on the European Football Super League. Uh, I got correct on that one, but it was a really good interview, and we hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everyone? We are now joined by Blake Finney of Federal Baseball. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter at FinneyBlake. And make sure you head on over to FederalBaseball.com to keep up with all of his latest pieces. Blake, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Um, we all scored as many runs as the Nats did today and on a Friday. So I think 
we're all winning off the field in that regard. But the biggest story right now with the Nats, it's been the biggest story all year long, has been their offensive struggles. They've been shut out five times in 19 games. They scored one run or less than seven of them. And today, potentially maybe suffered a pretty big blow. Trey Turner came out of the game after being hit on his left forearm. Is there any news on Trey and how he is doing right now after coming out of the game today? So after the game, Davey basically told the media that he went and got an x-ray. The x-ray came back negative. So they think for now it's just a contusion on the forearm. So give it a couple of days rest. But I think as ever with these things with hit by pitch, you kind of got to wait for the swelling to die down until you can really see what's there. So for now, their concern level is probably low and they still think he'll be back on Tuesday. And like you say, it, with an offense that's struggling, losing Trey would be a huge blow if he was to go down for an extended period of time, but they don't think um, it's anything serious yet. Well, that's certainly good news because this lineup couldn't afford to lose any of their key cogs already. And uh, they were down obviously Juan Soto. So hopefully, you know, Trey's not out too much, but sticking with the lineup, um, this is one thing we kind of identified prior to the, the season kicking off in that Josh Bell and Kyle Schorber are very much, the same profile of hitter, a lot of, you know, long, great power, but a lot of swing and misses as well. And so far early in the season, that's the, we're seeing more of the latter than the former. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Nats lineup as a whole? And can you see anything changing in the future, whether it be uh, a bounce back performance or maybe even an, an addition to the lineup? Yeah, I think I had, the exact same concerns coming into the season and kind of it's been building for a couple of years now you had obviously that like all world lineup that underachieved in 2018 with mm-hmm. Harper, Rendo and Soto and they gradually lost those pieces and what they tried to do was kind of make incremental gains everywhere else rather than going out and getting a start which is kind of what's led to where they are now and they've tried to do that with Bell and Schwaber and like you say it's not been a great start I think Bell is he came to the Nationals with a reputation as a streaky hitter anyway. Mm-hmm. And obviously got off to that blistering start in spring training. And everyone thought, here we go, here we go. We're going to get that kind of MVP level that he played at at the start of 2019. And then obviously went on to the COVID IL. And his timing's been all a bit all out of whack. Um, I wrote an article about this recently as well. And when he's got such a long swing because he's such a big guy and has all this movement with his bat before he starts his actual swing motion, timing is such a huge thing. And missing two weeks mm-hmm. of time with that uh, is obviously a huge deal for him. And kind of it, it seems to be getting better and there's a lot of hard contact. I know he's in like the 90th percentile for hard hit percentage. So people are seeing all this hard contact go straight at fielders and it's a bit frustrating. So mm-hmm. I think there are signs of life there. Um, Carl Schwab is kind of a, a more difficult one to get a read on. Obviously he had that big walk-off home run against the Diamondbacks, but kind of he's low-key been dragging this offense down a little bit. Obviously he's not getting on base as much. He's only had two walks compared to 18 strikeouts and only a few extra base hits. So he's probably someone that I'm slightly more concerned about and wondering whether last season's regression is kind of more what he's going to be moving forward as opposed to what he was earlier in his career with the Cubs. Yeah. Yeah, And 
I saw your article, I think you wrote it five days ago, and I don't think yeah. Josh Bell has a hit since. But like you made you made a good point. I think Josh Bell today had a hundred and twelve mile per hour line out to the second baseman where Kyle Schwarber isn't making hard contact. So you can at least make the argument, well, Bell's gotta be close. You know, the Babbitt's gonna start going to his way eventually. Um Kyle Schwarber, we're not really seeing anything, but Another issue that's kind of been a reoccurring theme for this team is Victor Robles' base running. He's made a couple very costly base running mistakes. Um, he had another one today when he was leadoff hitter, um, tried to stretch a double into a triple, made the first out at third. Davies said that he is going to talk with Robles again, but I feel like this is about the 15th time he's talked to Robles about being that aggressive on the bases, and it's kind of not registering with him what do you think the Nats need to do for that point to be made to Robles that he's fast he can be aggressive but he needs to start being smarter out there on the base pass yeah definitely and this is what his third year full-time in center field you can't use the he's a young player now that that was mm-hmm. flyable and you could pass with that in 2019 maybe 2020 a little bit but now he really needs to start maturing and he's kind of doing that at the plate but like you say there are still poor plays there are some misplays in the outfield still that are still going on um it's kind of tough uh, but david martinez is probably someone who can help relate to him obviously spent a lot of time in the outfield obviously spent time all over the field in his playing days and he just needs to get a bit more comfortable and i think last year he kind of really focused on beefing up himself trying to hit with more power and that kind of dragged him down at the plate and that dragged a lot of other things down dragged him down in the field so they kind of tried to get him back to 2019 shape um trying to get him feeling it at the plate and obviously he's not and i don't know if that's kind of passing over into his game now where he's kind of pressing trying to make that little bit extra happen like you said in the game on sunday he could have just easily taken that lead off double the pitcher was coming up probably would have bunted him over the third anyway but he tried to press to get that extra base that he thought he could get when he didn't really need to so it's it's a tough one um, because you don't want to put the reins on him too much. And Nationals fans probably saw that with Bryce Harper in those early days when they tried to rein him in when they probably shouldn't have done. And now you've kind Mm. of got to find that balance between still letting him play with that aggressiveness and energy, but making smart decisions. So it's it's a tough one. Yeah, and switching over to, you know, one of the the brighter spots of the offense over the weekend was Yadiel Hernandez. And obviously he's, um, you know, just got called up when Soto hit the IL and he performed well over over the weekend, found himself batting second. He was on base four times today. Uh, Obviously, it's a small sample size, but what do you think we can see out of his role going forward? Is he a candidate to stick around once everyone, uh, you know, is healthy again? Yeah, I, I remember tweeting out on, what, the Saturday when he was hitting second and kind of uh, uh, <laughs> looking down on the choice to bat him second, and he proved me wrong the last two games. Right. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's hit throughout the minor leagues. I think his um, the downside with him is, unlike, say, Andrew Stevenson, who basically locks down the fourth outfielder role because he can play across the outfield, all mm-hmm. three outfield positions, really well defensively, whereas Yadiel Hernandez is more of a corner outfield profile so to stick around he's obviously got to do it with the bat he's got to make the case right you've got to keep five outfielders because i'm going to rake off the bench so Mm -hmm. you probably want to see a little bit more power from him which he did have in the minor leagues perhaps more so in hit a friendly triple a where he was um in the pacific coast league so he kind of has to stick around there and make it 
um, make himself too good to send down with his bat. So he's kind of got to keep that up. Uh, we saw it in the two games. Maybe he can continue. He's still a bit of an unknown at the major league level and obviously a bit old for prospect age. So he's probably not going to kind of project any higher than he is now. But yeah, if he keeps hitting, he's got the chance to do so in this series with the Blue Jays, especially as they've got the DH in this uh, two-game series right. coming up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, last question on the offense before we switch over to pitching. Something that I noticed the Mets did this weekend was they pitched Trey exclusively outside. They did not pitch him inside. It did not allow Trey to turn on the ball. And we saw him go one for 10 with four strikeouts. You know, the first game over three, it's DeGrom. But the rest of the weekend, they kept throwing him away. and He couldn't get anything going. We saw his OPS drop 70 points from it, and his batting average dropped 15 points from it. Is this something that other teams are going to start picking up on and go, wait a minute, outside might be the way to you know, kind of neutralize Trey Turner, um, or was this just more of a bad weekend for Trey, or do you think we have a pretty big concern in our hand where he's not going to be able to hit outside pitching? Yeah, I think it, he's been in the big leagues long enough that I don't think people are going to suddenly find a weakness and go, wait, he can't hit the outside pitch. I think maybe it's not what he was expecting. Maybe he's feeling some of the pressure without Soto there that he's got to kind of hit for more power, especially as the team in general is not hitting for a massive amount of power at the moment. And obviously Trey's power comes from pulling the ball. You see all his towering home runs to left field when he actually gets inside the ball and squares up nicely. But the downside with pitching Trey away is if you let him poke one down the right field line, you're going to give up extra bases that way because he's so fast, can get to second, can get to third. So I, I don't see that as a, as a trend that they're going to start attacking him away. Maybe he was, a, like I said, a bit off guard. Maybe he was feeling the pressure. So I don't think it's anything to worry about yet, but obviously something to keep an eye on moving forward, I guess. Yeah, something to watch for sure. And one guy I've been watching for years now it it seems like and he was my breakout candidate and he's been a a welcome pleasant surprise this year and that's joe ross Um, another great start over the weekend it it was great to see him bounce back after a rough outing against the cardinals uh the start prior you know six innings one earned run the most important thing out of anyone in a rotation with strauss and lester still down is going deep in games and so far ross has uh, been able to do that what do you kind of expect with him going forward because I, I know a lot of people I'm sure even within the Nats organization have been waiting for Joe Ross to kind of put this together and be a staple in the rotation for a while so what can we expect going forward yeah I, I'm a big fan of Joe Ross and I like they always went into spring training with this seemingly like recurring battle of Ross, Fede, Vogt, right. who's going to win the fifth start spot. And it it always seemed like he was deservedly the favorite because of what he'd put on paper before. Um, he had all that talent before he went down with the Tommy John surgery. And throughout his career as a starter, I think he's still got an ERA under four at the moment. So I don't think that gets talked about a lot because the the top level numbers are kind of diluted by that weird reliever experiment in mm-hmm. 2019. So, oh, yeah. yeah, I think he... He's someone who definitely profiles as like a strong number four in probably most rotations across the big leagues, probably Sands, the Padres and Dodgers who are just completely loaded there. So I, mean, I he, think he's our number two right now. So. Well, <laughs> project, projected to be the number five, obviously injuries have kind of taken that down, but he's someone that really impresses me, especially with his fastball velocity coming back, his tight sliders there. He's got good off speed and good feel for that. Obviously they would like to see him go, a little bit deeper in the games and now that he's what three years 
uh, removed from Tommy John. It's something that they probably should let him go a bit more. And I know that's another big topic um, on mm-hmm. Nat's Twitter where they're kind of confused by David Martinez's decisions to oh, keep yes. in, take them out. Um, so it, it would be nice to get a bit more length out of him, especially like you say, with two of the horses down at the moment in Strasbourg and Leicester. So you mentioned the injuries. Right now, the Nats are running a four-man rotation. These guys are going to come back eventually. Um, and Eric Fetty and Patrick Corbin are the big guys who are struggling right now. Eric Fetty is out of options. How do you think this rotation shapes out once Strasburg and Lester are back from their injuries? See, this was something I actually, I had half an article written about what the Nationals are going to do because you've got, um, Patrick Corbin, who's struggling massively, still ERA over 10. But you've had Joe Ross, obviously, excelling. And Eric Feddy, despite that first outing where he got absolutely whacked around by the Braves, he's actually been pretty good. I think he's got mm-hmm. around a three ERA in his last three starts. And for the most part on Friday, he was not, obviously, he wasn't on Jacob deGrom's level, but he was matching zeros for quite a while. And it was just the one inning that got to him. So... You could make the case that when Strasbourg comes back, when Leicester comes back, you could shift Patrick Corbin to the bullpen temporarily. Obviously, the contract that he's got, you can't expect to just go, right, you're a reliever now. It would just be kind of letting figure things out. Obviously, maybe going into the bullpen will help him work on his slider because that's been the kind of big thing holding him back. In 2019, he abused that slider. He was getting swings and misses everywhere. And it just seems like that's not as effective a pitch right now and perhaps going into the bullpen for a bit can help him figure that out. So, obviously, we've got Leicester coming back. Um, I think he pitched a simulated game today. We didn't hear a a whole lot about that, because I think that was going on after the Nationals finished against the Mets. Um, But he could come back on Friday. They've been able to kind of get away with a a four-man rotation for the last week. They could do so for another week if they really want, with all these off days they've got coming up. But... Leicester's return is on the horizon. There's a bit of an unknown about Strasbourg, but when he does come back, I I wouldn't be surprised if Corbin temporarily goes to the bullpen, especially while Ross and Fetty are pitching pretty well as of late. That's actually a very interesting point. I kind of like that because, I mean, granted, way different situation, but Corbin found success in the 2019 run pitching out of the the bullpen when he was kind of struggling. So it's... You know, definitely an option, and I, I kind of like that, you know, game plan going forward. Um, I wanted to to shift to Eric Fetty a little bit because for some reason I, you know, for all the optimism I've had for Joe Ross over the years, I'm the complete opposite for Eric Fetty. And so, you know, with a rough first start, I was ready to cut ties. And, you know, <laughs> thankfully, you know, th- th- there's people who know baseball better and get paid to make these decisions uh, that aren't me and, and Fetty stuck around has pitched well. I wanted to get your opinion on Eric Fetty and I guess with, you know, your idea to move Corbin to the bullpen, you feel pretty good about Fetty going forward. Um, it depends. It all depends how he's kind of pitching at the time. Obviously there's going to be quite a bit of time until Strasbourg comes back. We think maybe a week or two, something along those lines. Um, but I think with Fetty, it's kind of the underlying metrics that have kind of gotten better over the last few years. He's been someone with the raw stuff, I guess, without having the results to prove it. So like he's had that mid nineties, kind of 95, 96 sinker. He's had a good, breaking ball but he hasn't been able to kind of um 
deceive people enough. So I know one of the big themes of him early on in 2019 was that he would get to two strikes and he just wouldn't be able to put hitters away. And this season, that's something that he's actually doing quite a bit better. So I think he's got like the highest uh, swing percentage on pitches outside the zone of his career so far. Um, I think he's got, I think his FIP is actually under three as well. So fielding independent pitching where he's actually getting more swings and misses this, this year, which is one of the big red flags that was on him before, because he's not particularly a pitch to contact kind of guy. Obviously he's got that sink can generate ground balls like that. So some of the underlying metrics are good, whether he keeps that success up and actually does what I wouldn't be surprised to see. And if uh, he does keep pitching well, bump cap Patrick Corbin to the bullpen. I think his rotation spot is definitely the weakest, but there have definitely been signs of progress over the last two, three starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of Eric Fetty, he is going to be pitching this week against the Blue Jays on Wednesday as the Nats have a two game series against them. Um, we're expecting to see Max Scherzer versus Trent Thornton and Eric Fetty versus Steven Matz. What are you expecting from this series? The Blue Jays, they're 10-11. They're pretty deep with injuries right now. George Springer may make his debut during this homestand. They're not 100% sure saying what day it's going to be, but do you think the Nats can finally get their offense going on track with the Florida the Florida Blue Jays coming up, or are these two kind of underrated pitchers going to keep um, holding back this offense? Yeah, it- the pitching matchups kind of seem a bit of a, a mismatch. You've got Max Scherzer going against the Blue Jays in their bullpen day with Trent Thornton leading it off. And you kind of feel pretty good about that. Um, I think the Blue Jays had a decent amount of success with the, a couple of the bullpen days. They've used some in like 10 starting pitchers already. So it's a chance to actually get, af- get after them, um, try and get something going on offense. The Blue Jays pitching isn't terrible. Um, but I do think it's definitely a chance, especially with the designated hitter. Maybe you put Josh Bell at DH, get Ryan Zimmerman in the lineup, who's been hitting pretty well, get him at first base for that defensive edge. And then in the second game, you've got Stephen Matz, who's actually been pitching really well for the Blue Jays against Eric Fetty. So that will be a particularly interesting game. Um, maybe having a left-hander on the mound, it's something that the Nationals haven't seen in a little while. Uh, can kind of get some of their right-handers going as well. So it's going to be an interesting series. And I think the Blue Jays are better than their... Uh, their record is saying right now they've got that great young hitting core uh, that I'm really looking forward to seeing. So it's going to be an interesting series and hopefully with not um, not an elite pitching team, like you just saw the Mets roll Jacob DeGrom, Marcus Stroman and Taiwan Walker <laughs> three in a row. It, it'll be nice to have a bit of a break from that. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah, I have to bring it up, and this is probably the most sensitive topic on Nat's Twitter right now, but it, it needs to be talked about, and that's obviously Max Scherzer and his contract year, and obviously the state of the Nationals as a whole. Yes, it's, it's only April, but you know, you, you need to be looking forward and kind of seeing what's what's ahead so you can plan accordingly. I don't mind the idea of, you know, at least talking about trading Max Scherzer. What is the scenario where that trade would become a reality? Where do the Nats need to find themselves? How far out of it do they need to be before they really start considering a Max Scherzer deal? Yeah, like you say, I think it's April. It's way too early. You don't even need to bring up 19 and 31 to kind of justify that it's way too early, especially given the 
the circumstance that the team have been through so far with the COVID, with the injuries. And they're still kind of two games out of first place in the NL East. Obviously, the NL East has been... Uh, I can't think of a non-explicit way to put it, but we'll, I'll, I'll <laughs> leave it at that so far this season. So they're still in it and they can play a lot better. I think I've been pleasantly surprised with how they've played so far, given what they've gone through. So it's way too early to start talking about it, but it is a realistic possibility that they do fall out of contention and kind of as you get towards June, July, if they are way under 500, then you might see the Nationals look at something. Obviously, Mike Rizzo isn't exactly one to throw in the towel, particularly early, sorry, in 2018 when they were way off the pace. They didn't really sell off until the waiver trade deadline at the end of August. Um, and then last year, obviously, it was a short season. It was all completely weird, but they didn't sell off at the deadline. Then they thought, well, eh, we're close enough. We probably don't want to give up assets, but just in case this group can make a run, we'll kind of hold firm there. Um, so it would take them being quite a way out of it for the Nationals front office to actually consider something like that. Um, but again, maybe 15 something something like that games under 500 it's going to be quite a way coming towards the trade deadline then i could see a scenario where they entertain it whether they actually get something done is a completely different matter you've got a couple hurdles to jump through you've got max scherzer with uh 10-5 no trade right so he mm. gets the final say on any deal even if the nationals try and trade him if he says no he's not going to go um the thing with that max obviously hyper competitive everyone sees it foaming at the mouth when he pitches <laughs> um it, it's not a surprise and i think mark finds and uh, mlb.com wrote about how like he's the type of guy who would go to a contender for half a season try and get another ring even though he's already got one in the bank with the nationals i think what the biggest hurdle for me is uh, and I think I tweeted about it when Feinzan wrote that article, is you remember the Bryce Harper trade saga in 2018 when his contract was coming up. And Mike Rizzo actually had that deal in place with the Houston Astros to get, I think it was J.B. Bukowskis, uh, Garrett Stubbs, and then another pitching prospect. We don't know the exact details behind that. And Rizzo actually had that agreed, but it was ownership who kind of nixed that deal, didn't let it happen. They wanted to try and give themselves the best chance of re-signing uh, re Harper in the offseason. So... I think that's probably the biggest hurdle for me. Would the learners actually approve a deal like that? Would they want to try and keep Max in DC for the rest of his career? And that's where I think kind of the trade momentum will kind of fall down. I think maybe you get Max Scherzer kind of pleading with ownership of, I won't hold it against you. I just want to go to a contender for half a season, then maybe come back in, in the off season. So mm -hmm. it's a, it's a complex process and there's going to be a lot of moving parts, but, it is still way too early to be seriously considering this. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, and you started talking about, you know, if the Nats do trade Max, they'll get some pretty good assets. But if they don't, another way to get assets is through the draft, which is something the Nats have kind of been missing um, with their recent first round picks. They do have their best first round pick spot and quite some time. Um, how do you think the Nats go about this draft? Are we going to see more of the same where they take that pitcher who's falling because of injury concerns and, you know, they just never make their MLB debut? Or are they going to try to stock up their farm system with position players? Because I think only one of their top 10 prospects is a position player. They're rather weak positionally. 
Yeah, I, it's, I think it's always the case. And obviously we've got NFL draft season coming up in, in the coming week where you are looking at teams who are picking positionally and picking out their weaknesses in the NFL. I Personally, I don't think that's something you can do in the MLB draft. All these players are at least, what, two and a half years away from the big leagues. And you don't really know what your team's going to look like in two and a half years. Like take the Nationals at the end of 2018. The team from then to now is completely different. And you would say that maybe they uh, they need a bit more positionally, whereas at the end of 2018, their lineup was absolutely stacked. So that's not something that you can look at. I think when you're trying to predict what the Nationals do do in the MLB draft, it's uh, looking at basically their trends before, which is college pitching, maybe someone who's fallen a little because they've had an injury, or maybe they just had that um, in this particular scenario, maybe like a short sample in 2020 because of COVID and it was um, a pretty horrible sample that they are willing to gamble on perhaps previous track record. So I still think they're going to go pitching. That's what they try and build their farm system up on and yeah, go from there. It's always difficult to project these guys. And to be honest, I haven't done my draft prep yet. It's still what two months away. So I'll think about that then. True. NFL draft got me in the, (laughs) for <laughs> talking about draft. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think back to, you know, the, the first half of the 2010s. I mean, granted, we, we were picking very high, you know, top 10, a couple of ones in there. So it was a little bit of a different situation. But, you know, I remember specifically the, the Rendon pick, we could have gone a different direction because at that time we had Ryan Zimmerman slotted in at third base. So it seemed like Rendon was a luxury. And that played out very very well hmm. so I, I would like you know not that pitching is ever going to be a bad pick but I, I would like to see some of these first round picks play out a, a little bit better than, than they have been recently um moving on to you know back to the, the big league club as, as a whole you know granted like we talked about it is april it's early you know we haven't even gotten a month of baseball under the, the club's belt yet, but what are your expectations and kind of predictions for this team uh, for the rest of the season? Do you have them uh, in a playoff spot? Do you have them making a run or do you have them kind of falling out of it? I think they're still probably good enough to hang around. I think my, uh, my preseason prediction was 83 wins and missed the playoffs kind of being that, being that wild card hunt, wild card hunt. And like I said, I think they are still good enough to do that. And they have surprised me a little bit, especially with some of their kind of more depth pieces performing so far this season. And hopefully when they get uh, get a bit more healthy, then we are going to see them kind of pick up again. Um, they obviously had a pretty brutal sc- schedule to start the year playing the Braves, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, who they actually did pretty well against. And now these Mets who are, much improved from the last few seasons. So mm-hmm. I do think that they're still in the hunt, whether they, whether it's enough to actually go on and make the postseason is another matter. And I, I think a lot of that is going to come down to these injuries, whether you can get 20, 20 more starts out of Steven Strasburg, say, or whether Leicester's going to go back to his old form as opposed to what he was in 2020. So the, there's a lot of question marks, which is why I have trouble t- kind of predicting them to finish in the playoffs. So uh, it's a tough one, but they are good enough to at least hang around. And that's why I don't think they're going to end up trading off at the deadline. I think it's going to kind of be more what we saw in 2019. They're close enough. They might make incremental ads here and there, but nothing major there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And especially that the rest of the NL East is an absolute dumpster fire right now. The Braves had one hit in 14 innings today. 
also helps the Nats cause for being able to stay around. Um, our last question for you today might be the most important question. <laughs> if if you watch soccer, I don't know if you do, but I'm just going to take, um, I'm just going out on a limb assuming you watch soccer. What are your thoughts on the very short-lived but controversial European Super League? So you mean you mean football, right? Not soccer. oh, fo- oh, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> uh, it, when whenever I've talked to people this side of the pond about this, they think, oh, it's a great idea. But like the the sporting systems are so fundamentally different between America and the rest of Europe, where you have promotion and relegation from. Uh, going up level. So if you had the minor leagues in baseball, having uh, the AAA winner going up, and I think that always gives the smaller clubs hope and kind of spreads the wealth around a bit, whereas this European Super League was all about being elitist um, and trying to get the rich teams richer rather than um, kind of sticking to the grassroots and what brought those sports up in the first place but i could go on for a whole hour about this maybe i need to make a new podcast for that um but yeah i'll, I'll leave it at that for now and i'm glad that it was uh probably shorter lived than jeremy guthrie's national career <laughs> so i lied i lied sorry sorry Nick. i lied i have i have one more question for you <laughs> This is a very big topic on our podcast, and we ask every single interview we do, are you pro-DH or are you anti-DH? anti-DH. Yeah, anti-fun. Oh, anti-DH. Come oh. On. <laughs> uh, Amanda would be so happy right now. She's, she's anti-DH, and Nick and I are very, very pro-DH. Pro-fun. <laughs> What's not fun about seeing a pitcher hit a home run, even if it happens once in every what? 200 tries or whatever it is it's so much fun and it's um it's like when a fat guy catches a touchdown in the nfl that's way that's way more fun than a wide receiver catching a that's actually the best argument i've ever heard <laughs> my argument is i mean this lineup is already struggling as is i don't want to watch you know some pitcher go up there and just watch three pitches down the middle because he doesn't care about hitting yeah. hey St- steven strasburg has the highest ops on the team Oh man! <laughs> I don't think that's a, a thing we should be like celebrating. <laughs> well, uh, I can try. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, it, it is fun seeing them hit, but you know, uh, my my counter argument to every anti DH you know stance is the Nats wouldn't have won the World Series without a DH or without Howie Kendrick in their lineup. So you know, wasn't it, playing it, DH in LA. Well, he, he was playing DH in game seven. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> no, I see. I see both sides. I just, you know, it, it's inevitable. It's coming. So, you know, I, I wish. It, it seems weird to, you know, have it last year in an abbreviated season, not have it this year because the the players association and MLB are just kind of at a standstill with the CBA agreement. And then it seems like it is coming next year. So yeah, I was going to say, I think think the fact that they don't have it this year is nothing to do with actually implementing it. It's the, it's the politics behind it. Right. Right. But it is coming. So that's what matters. Yeah. (laughs) I'm resigned to that sadly. (laughs) All right, Blake. um, We wanted to thank you for coming on your eight fantastic interview um and it's football 
<laughs> I, <laughs> Why'd you put so much emphasis on? <laughs> I had to make sure I got it right. Okay. <laughs> I had to make sure. Um, thank you for coming on, man. We absolutely would love to have you on again. Once again, you guys can give him a follow on Twitter at Finney Blake. And make sure you head on over to Federal Baseball to keep up with all of the latest news and moves with the Nationals. Blake, thank you so much, man. Have a great rest of your week. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Yep. Once again, big thank you to Blake for coming on. You're a fantastic interview. If you guys have not yet, please give him a follow on Twitter at Finney Blake and head on over to Federal Baseball to keep up with all of SB Nation's latest Nationals news. And right, heaters, so, sorry, that, that interview and all interviews are presented by Manscaped, our now presenting sponsor for the podcast. You know them. They're the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming and have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. They're here to help with your above-the-waist holes, too, with their Weed Whacker, which is their ears and nose hair trimmer. Obviously, if you need some uh, help with the below-the-waist grooming, the Lawnmower 3.0 is the best in the business. They have a bunch of amazing products, which will help you in your day-to-day life and activities. And Half Street High Heat can assist you in that. Use our promo code HSHH20. Go to manscaped.com and you can find yourself getting 20% off your entire order and free shipping. It is awesome. Plenty of great products. I mean, we are just pumping out assistance left and right for your day-to-day life. So I highly encourage you to take advantage of it because it is awesome. So go to Manscaped. Use our promo code today. All right, let's move on to our last segment of this week's podcast, which is one big thing. What do you guys got for this week? Mine is something we talked about a while ago, and it was really, you know, with the the COVID season last year that we we all felt, you know, as fans, but also in baseball. And one guy in particular had it pretty rough, and that was Michael Kopech of the White Sox. He was recovering from Tommy John and that, you know, weird 2020 season and not really being able to undergo your normal rehab and treatment and stuff really set him back. So I think it was three years in between pitching for him or something like that when you all you tallied it up at the end. But he made his second start of the season. What's day? Monday. I think it was yesterday. So Sunday. And he only struck out 10 batters through four innings. So, you know, it's great to see that one of the top prospects and most, you know, soon to be electric pitchers in baseball is quickly regaining his form. And not only that, he's on a young and exciting team. They would be a lot more exciting without Adam Eaton and Tony La Russa, but they're exciting nonetheless. And, you know, in the next couple of years, Giolito and uh, Kopech, you know, throw in Lance Lynn and some of the other guys they have. But the, the two at the top, Giolito and Kopech, are going to be in the conversation for the best one-two in base on that. That's just electric stuff. So it's glad to see he's he's back and dominating like he should be. That is very cool. That's a great story. Good for him. I do love to see stories where guys manage to come back because especially with all of the weirdness and the not having being able to rehab, you could see how it could have gone the other way for him and he might just have never. Oh, easily. Yep. Well, that's awesome. How about you, Ray? Yeah, I got a... I got two. Um, Fernando Tatis Jr. is absolutely electric. 
and more people need to troll pitchers and pimp the way he does. Absolutely fantastic how many times he trolled Trevor Bauer this weekend. But my other thing is, let's go on the run, man. Like, looking at the Nats' <laughs> schedule, they got two against the uh, Blue Jays and three against the Marlins. And then they got Braves, Yankees, Phillies after that. That's, you know, like all three of those teams are struggling right now, but they're all solid teams. Let's try to go four and one in these next five because um, and those three series afterwards can kind of decide how this team's going to be doing for the rest of the season. Um, some, you know, divisional teams in there and also the Yankees. So like try to go on a run and put yourself in a good spot before some really big divisional games come up because next thing you know, you're going to be in the big hole. So uh, I want four and one this week. Shaq is putting it out there. Four and one. That's my big thing this week. Four and one. I like that. Do they do they have to score runs in order to go four and one? What are the rules? Look, because- all I'm saying is four and one. I don't care how we get there. Win every game one nothing. I don't care. <laughs> yes, but they don't have to be earned runs. So Yeah, well there you go. It could be anything. So my one big thing this week actually kind of touches a little bit on Tatis, which you just talked about. Um, but just this there's so much fun stuff going on in baseball. I, I know that you know, even starting back from the Castellano stuff a couple of weeks ago where he got, you know, MLB obviously cracked down on him, which was incredibly stupid. But um, there's a lot more of this. You're seeing, I, you know, we've talked over the last couple of years on this podcast about how baseball's, you know, stuck in the past and they don't want to allow for, you know, the game to advance into what people want now. And I feel like a lot of the younger players are just forcing it along. You know, they're doing what they want to do. They're playing the way they want to play. And you're not seeing guys get, plunked so much after they've done something like that you know i i feel like the i feel like the game is really starting to change and i feel like maybe baseball is starting to see how much how popular this is how you know stuff like what's going on with tatis and bauer this week which was so funny and then they were talking trash to each other on twitter i mean i'm sure most of you who are listening to this probably follow baseball closely enough to have seen the um the photoshop that tatis put up of I guess he was holding some fan's kid a couple years ago and he photoshopped Trevor Bauer's face under the kid and he's holding it. It's super funny. Anyway, I just love it. I love seeing it. I think it it brings in new fans. I was talking to my husband about the thing with Tatis and Bauer and my one of my kids who are not into they don't watch anything on TV. They don't watch TV. Everything they watch is online. And he was asking me about it and like interested in it in a way that, you know, you don't get young fans interested in in things when it's boring. So I think they need to go further in this direction and also stop the stupid blackouts. And that's my, my hobby horse that I like to bitch about all the time. But anyway, it was awesome. Super, super fun baseball. This Padres Dodgers thing. I can't, I, I will watch every single game they play this season. Yeah. That's an electric factory. Um, but you know, with, with Tatis, like both of you mentioned, I'm perfectly fine with him being the face of baseball. Even if it was Ronald Acuna, I'd be perfectly fine with it. As long as MLB doesn't butcher it as long as they you know make the most of it you know hype him up use Tatis to grow the game that's perfectly fine even if people get tired of him if he's you know doing the job if MLB's doing the job of growing the game using his platform and his electricity that he's bringing to each and every ball game especially a series like the the Dodgers on, on a national stage on Sunday Night Baseball that's perfectly fine just don't butcher it. Don't ruin it. It feels like it's it's been a while since we've had a guy like this where people really kind of, you know, unless you're a, a Dodgers fan, people generally seem to like Fernando Tatis. 
So use him to your advantage. Don't don't ruin it. Don't be yourself. Don't ruin it. Basically. <laughs> awesome. Okay, you guys got anything else before we get out of here? Uh oh, wait, what's this? Yeah. Um, so this comes out Tuesday. Uh keep your eye on the Half Street High Heat Twitter for you know a little giveaway action sometime this week. Ooh, that sounds fun. Mm-hmm. All right, so make, make sure you guys follow the account at Half Street High Heat so you don't miss out on that. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you for listening, as always. We appreciate you guys very much. And make sure not only to check us out on Twitter, but to get over to the website. There are tons of articles over there, breakdowns of the most recent performances, previews for the new series that are coming up. You really um, make sure you visit every day. There's always something new there for you to check out. Uh, you guys have a great couple of days, and we will talk on Wednesday. Thursday. But yeah. Thursday. Well, we'll talk Wednesday. Y'all will hear it on Thursday. Y'all. Y'all. Good night. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team is mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later. Let's go. The early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.